our, our, our thought this morning. Last week, I was hoping to talk about this, uh, what we're looking at today in the Bible, as part of our sermon last week. And then after realizing it would be way too much information, I cut it out. But I thought we really need to be looking at it this week. Before I start, I always like to ask the Holy Spirit to um, uh, make sure I surrender myself to Him. So if you just bow your heads with me. Father, we ask that you would take my words, that you would please send your spirit, that it be your words. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked briefly at the reality of worry in our present unstable world as we see it today. And... I started realizing that worry always leads to another negative emotion. Not always, but oftentimes. And other emotion is fear. Um, and fear has some serious side effects. Fear is connected with anxiety and, and, and some other things. But did you know that fear can... can uh, by the way, fear is good for you. If you don't have fear, sometimes uh, if, if something bad comes in front of you, you have fear, you have extra strength and you can do whatever it takes to get away from it. Sometimes when you have fear, um, you have extra uh, adrenaline, some of your body functions stop down so you can deal with the issue at the time. Fear actually has its place, but when you have fear that goes unchecked, it keeps going on and on and on, they call it chronic fear, really some bad things can take place. Um, some, some studies have said there's a decrease in your immunity. So, I mean, think about it. At a time when we're looking at a virus spreading everywhere, uh, one thing a person wants is immunity. And the best way to get rid of it, get rid of your immunity, is to have fear. Fear decreases your ability to fight disease. Um, something else, it accelerates aging. Uh, <laughs> so, if you want to get older faster, fear. Uh, if you want to stay younger longer, do the opposite of fear. We'll be looking at uh, that today. Uh, certain parts of your brain can actually get damaged. Depression can set in, among other things. Fear has a, has a, a tremendous impact if it's not uh, given over and, uh, to God. However, fear isn't a new emotion. I was thinking about it. Is, is fear something that's just started in 2020? No. No, fear has been around for a long time. In fact, if you look at fear, I would say fear has been around since the very beginning. From the first sin, fear was. And that fear has been going from now on through time. Um, unfortunately, I believe that fear has plagued our existence from our very first separation from God. I don't want to miss that point. Separation from God is when fear began. Today, we're going to look at a group of people God's people, who had fear even though they were with someone who was fearless. They had fear even though they were with someone who was fearless. Please turn your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, where Deslin just read our scripture reading, Mark chapter 4. And we will be starting with verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the Bible starts out saying this, On the same day when evening came, had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. On the same day when evening 
had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. When evening came, I find it interesting that it says evening. This didn't start at noon, this started at evening. The reason is, is because Jesus had spent the whole day teaching. In fact, if you look at Mark chapter 4, verse 1, you'll see that Jesus was getting crowded on a beach and he actually stepped into a boat and he was teaching from a boat, teaching to these people just waiting to hear his words. They could not, uh, they were excited. They had seen his healing. They heard his teaching. And it says he was going to cross over, the Bible says, to the other side. And the reason is, is a very simple reason. Jesus and his disciples were going to be going and getting some rest. In fact, we might use the term today R and R. They were going to go and get some rest. They have been so busy in this, in this initial stage of Jesus' ministry here in Galilee. They were so, so busy that they needed a break. Time to recharge spiritually, physically. And so Jesus and his disciples are about to cross over. And you know, I think about us today. Sometimes we need to take them time to do the same thing. We get so caught up, so busy in our lives that we don't take the time to recharge spiritually and physically. And I look at what's taking place uh, right now. Some of us are getting a forced chance to rest. <laughs> we don't like it, maybe. But let's use this time to recharge spiritually. Well, that is Jesus and his disciples are crossing uh, to the other side. Verse 36 says this. Now, when they had left the multitude... They took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats also were with him. Now, the King James Version doesn't say, um, now when they had left the multitude. King James Version says this, when they had sent away the multitude. And I think that's important for us to note because in this setting, Jesus was so surrounded by people that they weren't going to stop listening as long as he was still speaking. Now, I've been, uh, I've preached in some countries where they are like that. I remember distinctly sharing a Sabbath message in Cape Town in South Africa. And I remember as we finished the sermon, I preached the sermon, it was 40, 45 minutes long. And as we finished, I remember the gentleman looked at me and said, I hope you're not done yet. I thought, I, 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 I finished the sermon. He said, no, we came to be fed this morning. It's not time for you to go. And I remember being a little surprised at that because I'm not used to that often. But this is something that happened often in Jesus' time. When Jesus was speaking, this is not what people were doing. Okay, it's about that time. You know it's 11.59. You only have a few minutes left. That wasn't the, the spirit of those who were listening to Jesus. They, they, they could not wait to hear what he was going to say next. And so they actually had to send away the multitude. We see this many times in the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus starts, uh, he gets in, he's in the boat, they're starting to pull off from the shore, and all, several of the people in the crowd grab their own little boats, and now they're starting to follow him. So they're going across the, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee, they're going to the eastern side, the other side, and the eastern side, even though it was inhabited, it was much less inhabited than where Jesus and his disciples had been. So it was in a more of a, uh, I think the, the Bible would say a more pagan population. And so they were, it was a, it was relatively uh, a good place to get some rest and relaxation. As they were going that direction, it was evening. Stars were seen. The sun has set. Everything is calm. Other boats have coming along. And that's the picture we see when we are in verse 36. 
Then it says in verse 37, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. The word here, great, is important. You see, Jesus' disciples, a lot of them were fishermen. They had spent their lives on the ocean. And there's someone who's sitting in my audience right now who knows what a great windstorm is. You've seen great windstorms, right, Theo? And they're seeing a great windstorm, and they're in this open boat, and they're struggling. Um, this one was bigger than anything they had seen before. That's why you see this word great. And, and, the, and, and the words winds, you know, in the Bible, winds are not always a good thing. In fact, when you look at the Bible, winds are often used to describe strife, destruction, difficulties. In Genesis chapter 41, uh, you see uh, east wind brings a famine to Egypt. In Exodus 10, we see a wind brings the locust for the plague and takes the locust away. In Job chapter 1, we see Job's children are destroyed from a windstorm. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 29, it says that he that troubles his house shall inherit the wind. Jeremiah 51 describes Babylon as a destroying wind. Hosea talks about a wind that will dry up the fountain and destroy the treasure. Ephesians 4 talks about us being taken, led astray by every wind of doctrine. And Revelation chapter 7 talks about winds of destruction. They're being held back. And that's the time you and I are living in right now. So this is the idea of wind is often having negative connotations. So we have this great windstorm. Windstorms still happen today. Yes, they do in the Sea of Galilee, coming down those eastern mountain gorges and breaking out in the lake. But windstorms also happen in our lives. No, it's, it's, it's not the blowing that we think of necessarily. But it's, it's, it, it is bad things. Strife, difficulties, they happen in the lives of every single person. Even those who follow Jesus like His disciples did. Because we can't miss this point that Jesus' disciples are with Jesus when they hit the windstorm. And sometimes we think that when we're with Jesus, everything is going to be perfectly calm and easy. But that's not what we see in the life of Jesus and His disciples. They have a windstorm even though they are with Jesus. Um, maybe today you have a windstorm. Maybe it's poor health. Maybe it's hurtful relationships, inadequate finances, nagging doubts, addictions, you name it. Windstorms still happen today. If you're in a windstorm, please know that windstorms happen. But if Jesus is in the boat, remember that song? I think some of you saw a video that we placed it on Facebook. Um, it's a children's song. With Jesus in the vessel, we can smile at the storm, smile at the storm, smile at the storm. With Jesus in the vessel, you know the song. It's true. But for some reason, in this windstorm, Jesus' disciples forget that Jesus is with them. Why? Because as soon as Jesus got into the boat, we had mentioned that it was a long day and they were going to get some rest, Jesus laid down. In fact, the book Desire of Ages says, overcome by hunger and tiredness, he fell asleep. So Jesus is sleeping. They're rowing in this windstorm. And uh, the Bible tells us this in verse 37. 
A great windstorm arose and, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. A boat filled with water will most likely sink. Um, all their efforts to try to save themselves aren't working. Jesus' disciples have poured their best into it. These are not, it, it's not, I'm not a seaman. And if I went out right now and, and, and got in a boat and a big windstorm came up and I didn't know what I was doing, you wouldn't be surprised. You would say, of course, Chuck doesn't know what he's doing because he's not used to being on the ocean. But when it comes to the Sea of Galilee, these men had spent their lives on it. And here they are, after spending their lives working on it, they're facing a storm that is outside of their control. You know, sometimes I think when we face things that are outside of our control, it may be an opportunity for us to realize our need. And that's what's taking place here with the disciples. Um, trying as hard as you can is not always enough. In fact, here's what it says. Um, yes. So let's, let's go to our next verse, chapter 38. Chapter 4, verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? But he. Those first two words should erase all fear of the preceding verses. But he. Um, it's important again, I want to emphasize that Jesus is in the boat in the storm. Storms still hit where Jesus is at. Even if He is in the boat, but He is in the boat. Jesus is with us in the storm, even though He doesn't save us from the storm. It's so easy sometimes to fight on our own and forget that He's near. Because I want you to imagine, the disciples are here, they're rowing. They're pulling as hard as they can. I can see the person at the stern just taking it and holding it with all their energy, trying to make sure that it's going the right direction the best they can. The wind is whipping around them. It's almost tipping over. They're trying to figure out, what do we do? And Jesus is in there sleeping. Amazing. We worry sometimes, but He is near. We worry because we can't see our way out of the current crisis. We worry because we're trusting in our strength, in our wisdom, in our skill to pull us through. We worry and we fear because we're trusting in ourselves. And I want to tell you, if you're worrying and fearing because you're trusting in yourself, <laughs> you're doing the right thing. Because you can't do it. Our strength isn't enough to fight the crisis. Now, Jesus is sleeping. Now, he must have been really tired. I, um, I remember uh, when I was a kid, we had a snowstorm and we were traveling home and I think I was visiting with my dad. We were visiting some of our relatives. We had about an hour-long drive to go and I remember we had a pickup truck and a rear-wheel drive pickup truck. We had no weight in the back. A pickup truck, no weight in the back, snowstorm. It, it makes for a fun drive. And so I remember as we were sitting there, and the back end of our pickup truck went this way, then it went this way, then this way, and then this way. We were going back and forth. And you know what? Because my father was driving, I fell asleep. I slept on the way home. Why? Because I had my father in the truck with me. And the disciples missed that point. See, the reason why Jesus was sleeping 
is because he was resting in his father's arms. He wasn't worried. Not because he was the master of sea and earth and skies. He had laid that power down when he came here. He was resting in the strength and the power of his father. Jesus was fearless because he was connected to his father. And you and I can be fearless if we are connected to Jesus Christ. Circumstances bring fear when we don't know him. Circumstances bring no fear when we rest in Jesus. It continues. They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Matthew 8.25 says, Lord, save us, we perish. So um, I, I found this passage in a great book. You know it, Desire of Ages, page 334. I like to read this section, if you don't mind. Um, it's a great harmony of the Gospels with Mark in chapter, Mark 4 and Matthew 8. Absorbed in their efforts to save themselves, they had forgotten that Jesus was on board. Now, seeing their labor vain and only death before them, they remembered at whose command they had set out to cross the sea. In Jesus was their only hope. And in their helplessness and despair, they cried, Master! Master! But the dense darkness hid them from their sight. They're in the same boat, but they can't see Him. They know He's there. They're crying out, but they can't see Him. And it continues. Their voices were drowned by the roaring of the tempest, and there was no reply. Doubt and fear assailed them. Had Jesus forsaken them? Was He who had conquered disease and demons, even death, powerless to help His disciples now? Was He unmindful of them in their distress? And when I read these words, I say, I've been there. And maybe you have too. There have been times when I'm in the midst of trial and I'm saying, God, where are you? And it seems like He is not visible to me and my words are not being heard by Him. What happens when that takes place? Well, it says here, doubt comes in. You ever had doubt? You're going through a difficult time and you're saying, where is God now? Does He even care? Doubt comes in when life is difficult. It says again they call, but there is no answer except the shrieking of the angry blast. Already their boat is sinking. A moment and apparently they will be swallowed up by the hungry waters. Suddenly, a flash of lightning pierces the darkness and they see Jesus lying asleep undisturbed by the tumult. In amazement and despair, they exclaim, Master! Carest thou not that we perish? How can he rest so peacefully while they are in danger and battling with death? What a picture. The disciples are in there. The waves are throwing them all over the place. The thunder is so deafening that their voices cannot barely be heard. The wind is shrieking and they're looking, crying for Jesus. And all of a sudden, in a flash of lightning, they see Jesus sleeping there in the boat. And in amazement, like, don't you care? He's sleeping. Their cry arouses Jesus. As the lightning's glare reveals Him, they see the peace of heaven in His face. They read in His glance self-forgetful, tender love. And their hearts turning to Him cry, Lord, save us. We perish. 
the Tsar of Ages finished this, this section by saying this, Never did a soul utter that cry unheeded. You know, maybe sometimes we are like the disciples. We get so absorbed in our efforts to save ourselves that we forget about Jesus. We don't think about Jesus until we're at the end of our ability. Now, I, I, I don't want to pass over this because it's common. I don't think about what Christ can do in my life until I reach the place where I can't do anything for myself. What that means is, I'm not thinking about Him when I think I can take care of myself. Sometimes circumstances like what we're facing now as a country, as a globe, please, I pray for this to end as soon as possible. But when I look at what's taking place, I say, God, this is an opportunity for us to see our need for You. Sometimes they say, it's when we reach the end of our rope. Got a rope here? Let's just say that um, there's someone up there and they've thrown the rope down to me. Unfortunately, it's not going to stay up there. And I'm holding on to it, but as I'm holding, it keeps slipping from my grasp and I reach the very end of the rope and that's all that I have. If it slips anymore, I'm done. It's when we reach the end of our rope that we find in Jesus our only hope. I know it's cheesy, but please don't miss that. It's when we reach the end of our rope that we find in Jesus our only hope. When disaster strikes, and it could be physically, it could be socially, economically, it's easy to humanly try to solve our problems. And this is why um, until we realize we can't do it anymore. And this is really why disaster is sometimes why people start seeking for God because they realize what they can't do. One last point. We talked about physically and socially. Did you know spiritually we're always at the end of our rope? No, think, think through this with me. Spiritually, you and I are always at the end of our rope. And I'm, I'm holding this up so I don't forget. We're never in a position to make ourselves better spiritually apart from God. We're always at a point, if we depend on our own strength, we're always failing. We're always at a point where no matter how hard we row, it's not going to work. We're going down. We're always that place spiritually. We're always at a point where we need to be crying out, Lord, save me. There always must be a point where we must recognize our need of the presence of Jesus Christ. The disciples should have remembered something. That even if the boat sank, it's okay because he was with them. Just a thought. I mean, the story went another direction. The story didn't. But even if the boat sank, they were sinking with Jesus. That's a good place to sink. Even if the boat sank, they still have Jesus with them. Being with Jesus brings no fear. Did Jesus have fear? No, he was fearless. He wasn't worried whether the boat was going to sink or not. Father, you're in charge. I lay my case in your hands and I'm going to rest in you. Lord, save us. We perish. Very short prayer. But it's a prayer that's always answered.
It's a prayer that's always answered. If you have never prayed that prayer, I would suggest that today is a good day to do it. Lord, save me. It's not a hard thing to pray. Sometimes it takes a little bit of death of our pride. Lord, save me. I've reached the end of my rope. Sometimes when we reach the end of the rope, physically or economically or socially, when everything falls apart, it's sometimes when we reach the end of our rope in that way that we recognize our spiritual deficit. Our spiritual deficit's always been there, but sometimes we don't realize it because we're okay in everything else in our lives. Remember, Jesus may not keep us from storms, but the request that He save us in the storm is a request that He always answers. So as the Bible says, and in this case, He does save him from the storm. Let's look at it. And He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the Bible says, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He arose. I'm just, I just try to imagine this. Okay. We have disciples fearing for their lives, the boats being thrown every single direction. You have lightning flashing, thunder crashing. It's an incredible story. Everything looks like it's about to fall apart. And Jesus arose. And it says he arose. And what was the next? Um, you find out that he actually stood. He's standing in the middle of his disciples while the waves are rolling over them. He is standing with the thunder rolling and flashes of lightning illuminating his face. Jesus was fearless. He was. I've tried standing on a canoe on a still lake. <laughs> and that's a scary feel sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I think I ceased standing and started swimming. Um, but here is Jesus standing in this lurching boat. Everything's going crazy. And what does He do? He doesn't help them row. Please note this. He doesn't grab an oar and say, give me an oar. He doesn't grab a bucket and say, let's start bailing it out. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus does the impossible. He speaks to inanimate creation. Peace be still. I love the way, um, so you may not realize this, but sometimes uh, I've found the best places to, to look for sermon material or children's books. So here's a line from a children's book, if you don't mind. Creation recognized the voice of the Creator. What a beautiful line. Creation recognized the voice of the Creator. Then the Bible says there was a great calm. Great calm. So we had a great windstorm. Now it's followed by a great calm. Wow. True great calm doesn't come from human sources. It has to come from God. True great calm doesn't come from human sources. It has to come from God. Great calm doesn't come when I've got all my, 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 my finances laid out in the right way. Great calm doesn't come when I look at my health and say, man, I'm okay. 
Great calm doesn't come when my family is all happy and we're having a meal together and no one's arguing. Great calm doesn't come from that. Great calm only comes from God. Those other things are great. Please don't, I'm not, but that's not what brings great calm because those kind of calms can always be removed just like this. But great calm only comes from God. And by the way, it's a lasting calm. In times of crisis, what we need is a great calm. Um, I've seen the nerves of humanity being frayed. Uh, three and a half million people applied for uh, unemployment this week. Um, there's a loss of social life for so many people. I was out shopping eight days ago to get some groceries. And I heard one person say to the other, oh, I could not wait to go shopping. I just wanted to see another person. I mean, there's just this desire for socialness. What we need is great calm. Some families are being forced to live together. You know, <laughs> mom and dad are having to work from home right now. And, and, and the kids aren't allowed to be at school, so now they're home right now and everyone's squished in the same place. And do you realize that... um? Domestic violence and child abuse is on a major rise. You know what we need right now? Great calm. When people get stressed, you know what else they do? Other than beating up on their family? Sometimes they start going to their addictions. Whatever those addictions may be. And they start depending on them. You know, uh, there was an article in the news that said, you know, let's, let's close the... Uh, the alcohol stores in a certain state. I won't mention the state. And uh, you know what the response was? How can we do that? If we close the alcohol stores, people go and withdraw and then they'll go sick and they'll die. And so people are bathing their fear in the addictions of our day. And what we need now is great calm. So how did great calm come to the disciples 2,000 years ago in a little boat on the Sea of Galilee. How did it happen? Here. Jesus stood up in the midst of His people in the midst of the storm in response to their cry and He gave them peace. It's that simple. Let me repeat it. Jesus stood up in the midst of His people in the midst of the storm because He heard their cry and He gave them peace. That's where great calm came from. Jesus wants to stand in the midst of His people today. He is here. He's waiting for us to acknowledge that He's the giver of peace. He'll give it. All we have to say, Father, I want Your peace in my life. Where He is, is peace. If you want peace in your life, you need Him in your boat. With Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm. Not that I'm saying we're going to go around singing, la, 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 we're so happy, the coronavirus. Is. That's not it. But what we will be saying is, I've got Jesus, I have no fear. What can I do to help you? It takes our thinking from ourselves to other people because God is in our boat. And that's what He's like. We have peace because He is with us. Verse 40. But He said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Jesus is very clearly making a connection here between fear and a lack of faith. 
if you have fear in this scenario, it's because you don't have faith. That's the picture that's being described here in this story. Again, repeat. Jesus was not fearless because He had all power in His hands. John chapter 5, verse 30 says, I lay all this power down when I came here. I of my own self can do nothing, Jesus says. The reason He was fearless is because He had faith in the Father's love and care. That's why He was fearless. He knew that whatever happened to Him, He rested in His Father's care. That's the will of God. And there's no fear in being in God's will. Here's a line that I don't want us to forget. Okay, so here's what I do sometimes. is I, I, I put little parts in blue to remind me to emphasize it. Someone emphasizes it. This is in blue. With Jesus, there is not freedom from storms, but there is freedom from fear. With Jesus, there is not freedom from storms, but there is freedom from fear. You know what it says in Psalms 118, verse 6? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. In fact, I, I know I've been speaking for about a half an hour. If you want to forget everything, I'm not that I suggest that. I mean, I think this has been great stuff from the Word of God. But if there are anything that sticks out from this story, Psalm 118, verse 6, take it with you, hold it with you this week. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. With Jesus in the vessel, with Jesus in the boat, we have peace, no fear. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. You know, you may know this. First John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is what? Love. Are you sure? So if God is love, that means love is God. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's just twisting it. Well, love comes from God, right? True love is from God. God is love. Well, if you go in 1 John 4 and you go down 10 verses, the first John chapter 4, verse 18. The Bible says, perfect love, and who's perfect love? God. Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear when you have Him in your life. Because He is perfect love. And He will cast it out. Jesus does not keep the storms from your life. But He will keep the fear from your life. When you are at the end of your rope, Jesus is your sure hope. We need to have that kind of faith. I will close. Before the closing story, I want to share a statement. Desire of Ages, page 336. One-liner. Living faith in the Redeemer will smooth the sea of life and will deliver us from the danger and away that He knows to be best. Living faith in the Redeemer will smooth the sea of life and will deliver us from danger in the way that He knows to be best. Living faith. He says He's given each one of us a measure of faith. Remember that father whose son had the unclean spirit? And, and he came to Jesus and said, please, if you can do anything, heal my son. And, and you might remember the story. Jesus looked at him and said, with faith, all things are possible. And that father realized his lack and instantly said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. 
That should be our prayer today. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Well, another storm arose in the lake with Jesus' disciples. It's a little bit later on in the story, a year or two. And this time, it's not a big storm. It's a rough storm. It's one of those storms that just, it's ornery. You don't go anywhere. You row all night and you stay in the same place. And they had been rowing all night, getting nowhere. And Jesus wasn't with them in the boat this time. It was them just by themselves. And all of a sudden, they had been rowing all night. They're weak. They're frustrated. There's some other things that are happening in their life. You need to read the story. I can't tell you all the details, but they are just, they're, they have some emotional, mental stress right now. And I think God allows the storm sometimes to change the, our thought process. And that's what happened to them. So they're rowing. They're stressed out. And all of a sudden, this, you read this story in Matthew chapter 14. They see this, this being walking across the water towards them. The Bible says they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. And Jesus says, it's I. Don't be afraid. And you know Peter. If it's you, Lord, tell me to come out. He said, come. So Peter steps out of the boat and he starts walking across the water to Jesus. Walking on water. He's doing a great job. I've heard a lot of people tell the story. Some say he looked back to look at his friends to see if they were watching. Not exactly, but... Here's what happens. As he's there walking, he sees Jesus. He does look back temporarily, and when he turns around, there's a wave between him and Jesus. I went down to the ocean just for about an hour yesterday just to take some time to, to pray and, and just get some fresh air. And I saw some ducks floating on the ocean. And I saw them, and I saw the ducks floating. And then I went down, and I saw a piece of rock, and I'm, I'm still a boy at heart, and picked up the rock and threw it in the water. And then I looked and there were no ducks. Where did the ducks get to? Okay. And I was going, they must have flown off. And then I looked and there are the ducks again. What's going on? And then I realized what was happening. You already know what was happening. They were going up and down. And so one time the wave's in front of them and one time it's not. And so sometimes you can see the ducks, sometimes you can't. Well, that's what was happening with Jesus and Peter. A wave comes through. Jesus, Peter turns around. He doesn't see Jesus. And instantly he gets afraid. And the Bible says he started sinking. And then Jesus, uh, Peter prayed that prayer, the same prayer, Lord, save me. Instantly. This is a prayer that is always answered, Lord, save me. Jesus was there and pulled Peter out. But what was the problem? In reality, it was the same problem that they had before. He stopped seeing Jesus, so his fear came. When Jesus is with you, there is no fear. Perfect love casts out fear with Jesus and the boat. These are things that we must always remember. In a time of fear, it's in looking at Jesus and having genuine faith in Him that you and I can be fearless. I want that. I struggle with fear. And I'm assuming everyone who's listening and all few of you here probably struggle with fear too. I want Him. With Him, there is no need to fear. Would you like to have Jesus in your boat? Do you want to be fearless? It comes with being with Christ. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we realize that sometimes we don't call on You until we reach the end of our rope. Until we get to a point when there's nothing else we can do. And yet we needed You all along. Please, I pray, Father, 
Uh, be with us uh, wherever we're listening to this right now. I pray that you would help us to just surrender and allow you in our boat. To keep our eyes on you and not somewhere else. Draw close to my friends, my brothers and sisters that are watching. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.